Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Matthew Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Yeah, no problem. Let me preach now. I made it through first service. I lost the contact cry in first service, but I was like, I'm going to make it through second service. It's going to be okay. And it's just, it's harder because I love you all so much. And this church has done so much for my family. All right, but it's not about me this morning, right? We're not here for that. We're here for Jesus. And uh, I'm just honored and blessed to be allowed to share the pulpit with this great man of God and to have him as my mentor and my pastor and all of you welcoming a young baby pastor to test out his sermons on. And you've been so welcoming and encouraging. And it's because of that I've grown so much in my walk with Christ and my, my leadership and, and my pastoral duties because of your love. So thank you so much. And as I... <laughs> but, you know, as I share this morning, I consider myself unworthy. Unworthy to tell the word of God to you, to teach the word of God to you, to interpret the word of God to you. But it's, it's not my worthiness, right? God equips those that he calls. And, and I've said yes to that call. And I'm not equipped and I'm not worthy. But because of my yes, he has said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my Holy Spirit and I'm going to use you. And I want that to be encouraging for each and every one of you for your yes. Whatever God is calling you to do, whatever trepidation you have, whatever fear you have in stepping out, say yes. And that Holy Spirit will fill you and equip you and guide you. Do not be afraid of the yes. Follow God's call for your life, whatever that is. If it's getting a camper with your family and drive east to an unknown land that I'll show you, (laughs) say yes, right? Amen? Amen. And you really are my family, and this this will always be my church. You'll get letters from me like Paul, like, my heart longs to see you again. But the door keeps closing, but I'm coming. Um, So amen. Church, our salvation is nearer now more than ever. Um, And it's imperative that we clothe ourselves with Christ Jesus, that we may resist the desires of the flesh, enabling us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and through that love, fulfill God's law. That's not, I didn't write that. That's not my articulation. This is Paul's letter to the Roman church. In chapter 13. So if you want to turn there, because we're going to be referencing this scripture and going back to it a lot. So this is Paul's message to the church, to us. You know, we don't like to think about it, but this life is really short. It's very brief in comparison to our eternal destiny. And today's reading highlights what I believe, what I know to be the true meaning and purpose to life. Can you believe that? You came to Sunday and you're going to get the meaning of life, the purpose of life. Is that amazing? Praise God. And it's just this. What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? To first and foremost love Christ. Love our God with all our hearts, all our minds, all our soul. And by loving Christ, we gain the ability through the power of his Holy Spirit to love all. Love all. Yes, everybody. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to love everybody. 
And by loving all, we fulfill God's law. We pray with me. Father God, I pray that this sermon encourages wavering doubt. I pray that it highlights your good desire for our lives. I pray that it inspires enthusiasm for true Christian living by aligning our hearts with your Holy Spirit and allowing us to love all those that you place in our path. Open our ears here today, Lord. Open our hearts to receive. Open our will to follow your loving and perfect direction. We ask this as we ask all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. As I said today, today's scripture reading is Romans chapter 13, and we're going to start in verses 8 through 14. And this, this pericope of scripture is entitled, Love Fulfills the Law. So let's read the word of God together. Oh, no, I lost it. And I got one contact in, so here we go. So it starts, starting in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, family, understanding the present time that the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Thanks be to God. So I want to do something this morning. I want you to indulge with me. I want you to bring out your imaginations. I want you to pretend with me. And I want you to think back to the time of high school. Now, some of you are still in high school. Some of you got to do a little harder thinking to get back there. I have my 20-year uh, reunion this year. It's crazy that I've been out of high school for 20 years. But I want you to think back to the time of those scantrons. You know those papers that you bubble in and they feed it through the machine and it was like, mine always sounded like ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta because that was the wrong answers as they were feeding it into the machine, <laughs> right? So I want you to think about that. You come in, you're coming into high school and it's first period and you walk in and your teacher goes, we're going to have a pop exam this morning. None of us are prepared. We didn't know about it. We haven't studied and then the teacher announces that we have an unknown amount of time to complete this 500-question exam. Oh, and that this test is worth 100% of your grade for this semester. Are you guys there? I want you to really picture this. I want you to imagine this morning 500 multiple-choice questions. You had no clue it was coming. We didn't know how to study for it. 
We didn't know it was going to happen. We don't know the answers. Are you getting that crazy sensation of anxiety and fear and hopelessness? You know, you get hot. It starts in your toes and, and goes up your spine. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. Maybe anger, a little bit of tingling anger. But soon we begin, we, we start to comprehend that this is happening. This test is being passed out. Some of us might throw our hands up in the air in disbelief. Oh. While others immediately begin to protest and plead for mercy. Still others cry out about the unfairness and the ridiculous totalitarian regime that this class has become. <laughs> but nevertheless, the teacher announces the start of the exam, and we all, confused and annoyed, start to take the test. We start out very seriously. We thoroughly read each question discerning our responses. The questions are easy. They're, they're elementary, really. They have obvious false answers, but what about the time? 500 questions is a daunting task, no matter how much time you have. So, of course, our teacher is going to give us plenty of time to answer all of these questions. As, we, as this rationale thinking sets in, we, we start to calm down. Oh, they're going to give us tons of time. But just then, the teacher announces that we have 15 minutes to take this test. <laughs> 15 minutes. What? I just started. I'm on question like three. There's a sense of urgency now, isn't there? There's a sense of desperation. The time is coming to an end. And realizing we cannot possibly complete the, the test in 15 minutes, some of us resort to what's become known as Christmas treeing. Are you familiar with this? It's where you fill in the dots in a Christmas tree pattern, gambling and guessing, right? It never works out. But it's better than leaving them blank. You might as well play the odds. Others simply give up. Failure is inevitable, so I might as well just give up. Maybe one or two righteous and holy goody two-shoes, I mean good students, um, continue to take the test with integrity, continuing to do the best that they can and accepting that God loves them no matter what the outcome of this test is. Can you see yourself in one of these examples? Do you see where you're at now in your life? Can you think of someone in your life that falls into one of these three categories of students? The panicked gambler, Christmas tree filling as much of the test as you can, reacting to life instead of responding, always waiting for that other shoe to drop? What about the trying is futile, so I just give up group, overwhelmed, beat down, can't see the point of trying? Those who've stopped seeking, might as well live my life how I want, because, I mean, there's no real evidence for God. It says here to hold up my Bible and my notes. But here we go, frantically, we're trying to finish this exam. Some of us are, are, we can do it, we're filling it out, we're filling it out, and then there's those kids in the class slumped back in their chair doing the rubber pencil thing, because they just, what's the point? But just then, with three minutes left in the exam, our teacher reveals the answer. They say the answer to all of the questions is A. What? She's, this, what? No. What? Is this for real? We doubt. We question. Are the answers really A? And as we doubt, the teacher assures us that the answer to all of the questions is A. Praise God. Our prayers have been answered. He has softened her heart, and she has given us the answer to all of the problems. Immediately, those who had given up, they're renewed in hope, and they start scrambling to fill out as many A's as they can. That's about 2.7 bubbled answers per second, right? It's doable, but 
tried. It's, it's not likely. The Christmas treeers, they're in trouble. <laughs> they're in trouble. They moan because there's not enough time to go back and erase all of the Christmas tree answers. There's not enough time to erase it and then rebubble the right answer in three minutes. They have too much debt. Again, some try and some quit when faced with the extreme challenge of their past mistakes. The small group that seriously tried to answer the questions, they were affirmed in their repetitive A. 15 minutes worth of bubbling A, you would have thought you were nuts, right? You're like, are these really all A? Maybe all the rest of the test is A. No, no, I have to read each question because what if they're not, right? You're going nuts. Is it really A? But now they continue to bubble and they have a renewed sense of confidence because the teacher has affirmed them in their answers. Sadly, not everyone passes the exam. They simply receive the answer too late to implement it. And although this, this imaginary answer of the 500 multiple choice exam is, is exaggerated, I think it shows us today why Paul wrote his letter to the Romans. Christians in Rome, they had many important questions as they sought to follow Jesus. They needed answers. And Paul is providing them with the answer. The answer to all their questions as believers in a social melting pot society. The answer spoken by Jesus and confirmed and moved by the Holy Spirit in Paul's letter. That answer, love, love. Paul's letter urges us that the three-minute warning has come. In fact, the time is now, and the one answer of how to live in fulfillment of the law as a church community in Rome and in the world is to love all other people. Love them all, all others. Love is the answer. You know, life almost never gives us one answer to multiple questions. I don't, I don't think it exists. God's commandments are more impossible to fulfill than this hypothetical 500-question exam. Would you agree? Today, we should hasten that warning even more because time is drawn closer to the return of Christ than, than we started this sermon. Look at verse 11b. And do this understanding the present time. How many times have we read that passage? Do you understand the present time that we are in? This is the three-minute warning. The time has come. The time is near. Do you understand your present time? Paul is warning us that life is short. It's very short. What is the meaning? What is the purpose? What are we supposed to do? How can we follow all of God's law? Love. Love is the answer. Jesus told us that. Paul taught us that in his letters. We know it. Come on, church. You know it in your heart. You know that love is the answer. You know it. But it's hard to love. Seems impossible to love all my neighbors. How do I do it? Devote your life to Christ. Only through a life devoted to Christ can we fulfill the law by loving all others. Simply put, loving Christ equals the ability to love everyone. Do you believe that? If you love Christ, you gain the ability through his Holy Spirit to love everyone, 
all your neighbors, everyone on your path. Paul was writing to Christians in Rome that were facing a conflict between serving God and serving the state. Caesar demanded worship of this new sect of religion, but they were torn. Worship only the Lord your God. Most of Paul's letter addresses how to live as a Christian Roman citizen. But, but chapter 13, we see a transition. And he expands his instruction beyond the walls of Rome and more importantly, outside the walls of Christian circles, outside the walls of the church. Look at verse eight. Paul says, love one another. What's he talking about? Inside the church. Love one another. This is addressed to the church to love each other within the church, to love the body of Christ, our fellow believers, people of like-mindedness and identical beliefs. That's easy, right? There's going to be some sarcasm in this sermon, right? It's easy to love people in my church, love everyone in my church. No, there's some hard people to love even in the church. What about other churches in our valley? There's one a stone throw away. Are we loving them? How are we doing loving the body of Christ as a whole? What about the people who say they're Christian and have no church at all? Are we loving them? Paul says, love one another. There's, that's it. But Paul goes on in verse 9. Oh, boy. Doesn't just stop inside the walls of the church. Not just supposed to love one another, people who think like you, people who believe like you, people who share common understanding with you. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the people who are on board with this Jesus stuff, but guess what? You also got to love the people that aren't. Love your neighbor. He's instructing us that as Christians, we are called to love even those who do not believe, those who don't agree. Those who try and silence our belief and our faith, we're supposed to love them. We're to love our neighbor even if they don't love us back. How are we doing on that, church? But who exactly is our neighbor? It's simple, really. A neighbor is just anyone, anyone that God places in our path, both physically and remotely. Not just the house to your right and the house to your left anymore. You see, back then, the world was a much larger place. But loving your neighbor was the same as today. But we have to redefine neighbor for a smaller, shrinking world. A world of instant communication, constant contact, and unending information. So many neighbors. I'm trying to write this sermon. People are coming in. Right? I, so I'm going to leave. I'm going to go home. Then Benjamin's crying, right? My neighbor's coming over. I'm going to go back to the office. It's late. Nobody will see me. And then Jack and Cheyenne walk in, right? It's like so many neighbors. Let me put my phone away so I can focus on you, Lord Jesus. Or oh, I forgot my watch is connected to it. Oh, my gosh. I have so many neighbors. It's impossible to love them all. There's no way I can do it, Jesus. How could you expect this from me? First century Rome was densely populated 
There were many cultures and religions living on top of each other. A Roman Christian would have had pagans and Jews and Gentiles and all kinds of different worldviews living in really close proximity to them, surrounding them. They would be interacting with all of these neighbors all the time in the marketplaces, on the streets, same as today. But Paul instructs them how to conduct themselves first within the church body. He says, you have to love one another. Then he goes on to say, oh, you got to love everyone you encounter too. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, like, like Jesus did. Wow, that seems like a really tall order, Paul. Thank God that we are not Christians living in Rome in first century Palestine. Because I would not want, oh, wait, wait. Wait, this is generation neutral. Nothing that Paul says is written so far removed from our own culture that we cannot relate. What does this mean? It means we have to love our neighbor too. Online, in person, at our job, on the trail, in line for coffee, no matter the political stance, no matter the religious beliefs, no matter their moral or ethical understanding, no matter what, whatever excuse you have not to love, it doesn't matter. Love. And the church must lead the way first in love. Always. Yes, truth. Yes, social justice. But always in love. Put simply, this text meant back then what it means today. <clears throat> Truly loving Christ means that you are indebted to love all others. You are indebted to love all others. And by default, through the power of his Holy Spirit, you will live in accordance with the law of God. And I kind of feel like we lost sight of that as a, as a national church. Remember our imaginary 500-question pop exam and the overwhelming feeling of impossible. I think about the Israelites as Moses came down from Mount Sinai. He's like, I got 10 simple rules for you guys. And they're like, okay, yeah, go ahead, give it to us. And as he starts to read them, they're like, yeah, I can get on board with that. That's cool. But then as Moses goes on, the conviction, the hopeless feeling of impossible, how am I never going to covet again? Have you ever really thought about what it is to covet? I probably did it six times on my way to church this morning. How am I going to stop bearing false witness? What's that another name for? Lying. How am I going to stop this lustful heart? How am I going to... Oh, how am I going to do this, Lord? It's, it's impossible. And I think that was the point. I think that was the point. Impossible to live for God without God. You need God to do it. It's not impossible for God. Life is short, and Christ is love. Love is the answer. And with Christ, you can love all of your neighbors. Paul begins verse 8 with an order, an order, a command. Have you ever read it like an order? Or do you just read it like in a passing thing? He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Don't. Don't let debt remain outstanding. Except the continuing debt to love one another. That will never be fulfilled. Love always repays its debts. But the phrase, let no debt remain outstanding, it's complex in the way that Paul is using it here. We have, to, we have to think about this. It's true that Jesus erased our debt for sin. Jesus erased that sin debt. 
It's true that Jesus' sacrifice paid for the debts of the world, but not that 20 bucks that you owe Bob. Think about it. We have earthly debt that we need to clean up. We have earthly debt that we need to clean up. Let no debt remain outstanding. As Christians, we are to repay our earthly debts in as soon as possible. Not only because it's the right loving thing to do, but as Paul says, as he's urging us, he says, when we're free of our earthly debt, it will enable us to put more energy into paying or rather making installments on the only debt that matters, the debt to love one another. Love is the currency of God. And we are indebted to love because he first loved us. You see, when we free ourselves of this earthly debt, we can live in a debt of love. I know I'm saying debt a lot, but it's important. And there's some negative connotations with debt, but to live in the debt of love is the most amazing place you could be. It's why we're here. It's why we're here, church. When we free ourselves of earthly debt, we can live in the debt of love. Amen. But earthly debt is more than money. Here we go. Do you owe a debt of forgiveness to somebody? Do you owe a debt of gratitude? Do you owe a debt of acceptance or mercy, peace, grace? Do you see how our earthly debt can get in the way of our true debt to love one another? As we hinder these things, as they fester within us, as they control our actions and emotions and we don't really know it? Remember the pop exam. Those that choose to Christmas tree gamble the test. It didn't pay off because there wasn't enough time to go back and erase the wrong answers, to erase the debt. Some of the things that we have done in this life can be rectified. They can be resolved. Relationships can be salvaged. Reconciliation can happen. And in those circumstances, we have an obligation to act as Christians. We have an obligation to put ourselves out there, to be the extension of peace and love, to bring resolution. Don't run out of time. Go back now and erase the debt before the three-minute warning even comes because it's here. Offer that forgiveness Apologize to that person that you have hurt. Soften your heart. Humble yourself. And pay Bob back his 20 bucks. That's an easy one. Get it out of the way. Then take the test of this life again, now with integrity. From now on, accruing no more debt. Live your life in light of God's love from now on. Love your neighbors, all of them. And accrue no more debt. We have the answer, family. We have the answer. The answer is love. What are we waiting for? What am I waiting for? I have the answer. Why am I rubber penciling in my seat? But what about earthly debt that we cannot repay? Do you ever think about that? Paul says, get rid of all your debt. Let no debt remain in Outstanding, but there's some debts that we can't repay. What if the person has already died? Already died and you never were able to say, I'm sorry, or say, I forgive you and I love you. Perhaps in order to repay the debt, you would cause that person great stress or pain. That's not good. 
We don't repay debt at the expense of other people. We need prayer and discernment. Maybe the debt is priceless beyond any amount of earthly wealth that we could never repay it. What then, Paul? What do we do then? You say, let no debt be, remain outstanding, but what if we can't repay it? Please hear me, because I say this with all sincerity and sensitivity. When a debt cannot be repaid and you have prayed and discerned, move on. Amen. Move on. Amen. Do not let your past mistakes, do not let your path, past debt stop you from your current love. Stop you from the path of loving. Move forward, living a life pleasing to God and in accordance with his good character and law by loving your neighbor. That's how you repay those debts. You can repay those debts by living out the rest of your life, loving everyone on your path. Life is a marathon, very brief, but a marathon nonetheless. If the Christmas treeers never went back and tried to erase all the previous mistakes, and from that moment, the moment they got the answer, began to live right and bubble right, they would have passed the exam. But no, they're all overwhelmed about their past bubbled answers. They got to go back and erase it. No, from that moment, move on. Go, love, you have the answer. Discern through prayer and meditation with God the debts that you cannot repay directly and spend no more time with it. Dedicate your life moving forward to love your neighbor and those debts will be paid indirectly. How? Covered by the blood of the lamb. Covered by the cross. Covered by our Lord. But don't, don't use this as an excuse not to pay some debts, right? Oh, Jesus got that one. That one's hard. I don't want to talk to that person. That's going to be too, too tough. I'm going to leave that one to the blood of the lamb. No. We have an obligation as disciples. We have an obligation as disciples to go back and erase the debts that we can. Why? It's not for them. It's not for them. It's to free you up to love more fully your neighbors. Amen. You got to get rid of it for yourself. Remember, debt is more than financial obligations. So seriously, here, close your eyes. What are the debts in your life that you need to be repaid? What are the debts in your life that you can never be repaid and you have to turn them over to Jesus? I pray right now that you would just lay them down at the feet of the cross. Let him take those from you and walk out of this church today renewed and encouraged to live your life debt-free. What do you have to repay and what can't you repay? Here it is. Who's in your debt that you can release so that they may love more freely? Life is short. Christ is love. Love is the answer. And with Christ, you can love all of your neighbors. So why does Paul, what does Paul mean when he said that love is the fulfillment of the law? Look at verse 10b. You see, the law is more than the Ten Commandments. How many of us, when we hear the law, we think, oh, the Ten Commandments. It's more than the Ten Commandments. It's the very character of God. It's the good and perfect character of God. The character in which the image we were created. God's character is how we know that we are lacking it's how we know that we need a savior. And it is what God wants for us to pursue his holiness, to pursue our lives in his goodness, in his love, in the example of his son. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies, he says, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here it is. Upon this, all the law and the prophets hang. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because of this, in Matthew, I used to think I could tear my Bible in half, right? Live by the New Testament, the golden rule. I got Jesus now, I'm good, I'm covered under the golden rule. I don't need all this law and prophet stuff. Boom. But I know now that that is wrong. That is very wrong. And why is it so wrong? Because Jesus loved the law. He says he was the fulfillment of the law. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Why? Because the law illustrates and shows the good and perfect character of God. He loves the law because it's, it's God's law. The law deserves our highest respect and fear. And Jesus is the only one who lived a sinless life. And it is his, through his perfect love that we can be secure when loving our neighbors. How can I love this guy? How can I love this lady? This dude's stealing water out of my trench. Want me to love this guy? It's a huge issue here. But hear this. It is impossible to love all of our neighbors on our own. But God. But God. You cannot live like God without God. Look at verse 14. Paul says, clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot love. I myself cannot love all my neighbors. I have too much pride. I have too much insecurities. I have too much judgment. I have too much fear. I have too much anger. I cannot. I can't. It's impossible for me when I can confess that, when I confront that, when I realize that, then I can admit that humbly, I can admit it humbly. And it's in that moment that I understand who Christ is, why he did what he did for me, for you, and how blessed I am to have him as my king. I can't do it without you. Clothe yourself with Jesus. Why? Because it is he who loves all people. Even with his dying breath, he loved those who were killing him. Clothe yourself in Jesus. Why? Because it is he who perfectly fulfills the law. You can't do it. Put on Jesus. How? We open ourselves to let his love work through us. A laying down of your desires. A laying down of the pride. Your will be done and then be ready because only he can truly love our neighbors. Only he truly does no harm. Look at verse 10. It tells us because he is love. Christ is love. He is love. Later when you go home, I want you to read back through this scripture and anytime it says love, just put Jesus' name in there. They're interchangeable. Who is that person in your life that you're having a hard time loving? Right now, you all thought of somebody. Yep. Why? Why? Why can't, what is it about them that you can't get past? What is it about them that you can't get past? You know what? Whatever it is, 
Jesus can get past it. Jesus is past it. Jesus loves that person. What's our hang up? What's our hang up? Remember your debt, your debt to love all others. It is the Christian obligation to love all people. There's, there's no footnote. There's no excuses. There's no opt-out option. Love all people. That is the debt that the Spirit is driving Paul to stress. That is the answer key. Let no debt remain but the debt to love. Life is short. Christ is love. Love is the answer. And with Christ, you can love all your neighbors. Sensing a theme? What is Paul's motivation for writing to the Roman church? Well, it was his belief that Jesus was coming back soon. Paul believed that Jesus was coming back like tomorrow. He had urgency. Look at verse 13b. The hour has come for you to wake up. Wake up from your slumber. This is Paul's three-minute warning to us and to the church and to everybody who reads the scripture. It's the point in the test where those who had given up scramble to fill in the right answer now. The answer is love. Start scrambling. Paul's warning needs to be heeded sooner than later. Wake up, church. Wake up, Matthew. Wake up. Because if Jesus were to come back before, it'd be too late. The truth is that 2022 years has made us lax and arrogant, made us ignorant to the urgency of preparing for salvation by living a Christian life. But the reality is, is that no one knows the timing of Christ's return, nor does anyone know the time of their death. Wake up. Pick up your proverbial pencil and start filling in the right answer. Love, 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 love. This person, that person, love, love. Love is the answer. Start living the law. Clothe yourself in Christ Jesus and love all those you encounter. Do it today. Do it right now. Make a commitment right now. I'm going to love. I'm going to love. Verse 12, put aside the deeds of darkness and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. There will be times where you will have to sacrifice for love. There will be times where you will have to go without in order to love. You will be persecuted for love. You will be misunderstood for love. You'll be outright hated for your love. Love anyway. Love anyway. The desires of this world, ultimately, what do they do? They distract us from our ability to love rightly and fully. If we are indulging in the pleasures of this world, it is always at expense, always at expense. Our time here is so valuable and should be stewarded for love, not self-indulgence, not self-consumed. How much of our time is wasted? And how can we continue to waste it in light of all the debt we have to love? So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Loving your neighbor as yourself is not easy. And it sounds crazy again, but you'll probably be persecuted for loving them. The humility and love that Jesus showed during his trial and his crucifixion should be a strength, should be a place where we can go when we're being persecuted for our love. I love this person and they are persecuting me like they persecuted my Lord. 
and he kept loving. What an example. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that example. To give us strength when it's hard to love. Open yourself up to trusting God's plan for you. Trusting God's plan for you. Devoting your life to Christ and allowing him to love through you will keep you on the path. I hear all the time, how do I stay on the path? How do I stay on the path? Open yourself up. Let Christ's love flow through you. There's no way you'll get off the path. Remember the goody two-shoes from the pop exam. They did the right thing by following the rules the whole time. And they continued to take the, t- the exam with honesty, with integrity. And they were rewarded for their efforts when the teacher revealed the key answer. Hear this. Remember how they wavered in their faith, though. Am I doing the right answer? Am I doing the right thing? Doesn't, I'm not sure. All the answers can't be A. The, can't, the answer can't be love. They were doing the right thing and they were second guessing themselves the entire time. Enough. Love is the answer. You're doing it. Realize that you're doing it. As Christians, we fall into the the category of always doing the right thing all the time with only little tiny bits of faith wavering, right? No, come on. If we're honest this morning, we are the Christmas tree gamblers, right? We are the goody two-shoes sometimes. We are the hopeless given up. And it's a cycle that our life is. Gambling, hopeless, given up. Back on top, renewed, enthusiastic. Oh, no, back down. Doubting, fearful, gambling. The truth is that all of us live in this cycle. All of us live in this cycle. What's the trick? The trick is to expend those times when you're faithful in a goody two-shoe and then limit the times where you're away from Jesus and then hopefully all those long times will link up and then some cosmic boom, all of a sudden we'll be perfect, amazing people. No, that's not the trick. There is no trick. There is only the answer and the answer is love. The truth is you'll be down, you'll be gambling, you'll be hurt, you'll be discouraged, you'll be hopeless but you'll feel the Holy Spirit telling you to love and that's what snaps you out of it. Love somebody. If you're down on yourself, get out of yourself and love somebody. A relationship with Jesus is the only way to maintain a heart that loves its neighbors. You hear that? A relationship with Jesus is the only way to maintain a heart that loves all neighbors. Do you hear what I'm saying? purposely, intentionally maintaining an ongoing relationship with Christ Jesus every morning. This puts his character at the forefront of our minds and it guides our actions and our words. It guides our deeds and our thoughts. It guides our lives. The more we know Christ, the greater the forefront grows, shielding us from doubt and fear in the face of persecution in the name of love. How do we grow to love Christ as to love our neighbor? How do we do it? You've been doing it. You just might have been slacking on it. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Get, what is your will for me, Lord? Show me. Please tell me. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Love. Love. Every day, read your Bible. You want a relationship with Jesus? Read your Bible every day. 
Spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. God knows everything I want. Why do I have to talk to him? Because he loves you and he wants to hear from you. And that's what a relationship is. That's what a relationship is. Pray. Connect in a small group. Have a Bible study. We got a great men's Bible study. We got a great women's Bible study. We got this thing on Tuesday nights called Celebrate Recovery with a lot of people trying to live like Jesus. You got unforgiveness. You got hangups. It's not just about substance. Plug in. What else can you do? You can do the, what I like to call, God loves everybody I see game. Right? So when you pull up at the red light on 82 next to the guy who just cut you off, and you say, God loves that guy. It'd be hard to hate him. If that's in your forefront, God loves that person. What's my problem? Right? You just run into city market for a quick thing, and, and there's 10 people at the self-checkout with three baskets full of stuff, and they can't find a barcode to save their life. <laughs> Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. What's my problem? Maybe it's a relationship problem with the one true king. Maybe I need to check myself. Life is short. Christ is love. Love is the answer. And with Christ, you can love all your neighbors. So how could one answer fulfill all the commandments? Be encouraged. It is not impossible. Paul gives us the answer. Love. Love. Love fulfills the law. Just like the A was the answer to all 500 questions, love is the answer to all the commandments, to all of life. What is the purpose? What is the meaning? What do I do? Love. Not just love by itself, but loving everyone you encounter. Love does no harm. Church, time is almost up. We are at the end of the most important test of our life. We have the answer. Turn from the desires of this world. Clothe yourself in Christ Jesus with a relationship. Repay those earthly debts as quickly as you can. Move forward in love and live the fulfillment of the law found in Christ Jesus. Life is short. Christ is love. Love is the answer. Amen. Let's stand. So here's the question now. What are you going to do about it? We got the answer. Is this just going to be another Sunday where you heard a sermon? Or are you going to take this answer and you're going to do something with it? You're going to say yes. Yes to loving. Yes to putting away your own selfish desires, your own ambitions, your own what you think is right. And you're going to say yes to loving. It's got to start here, church. No one else is doing it. No one else is doing it. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to love, remember love, Jesus, interchangeable. Christ is love. Love is the key. If you've never said yes to love, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to do it today if the Holy Spirit is leading you in that direction. Here is the answer to all the questions. Here is the answer. I see you. I see you. This is the answer to all of life's questions. Love. The greatest example of love is Christ Jesus. Say yes to the calling that he has for you. Say yes to what he has for you. 
Do not be intimidated or scared. He will equip you. Step out. Step out in faith. Step in faith. Can you, can you come forward? We all did it. We all did it. Don't worry. It's a public profession of faith. What's your name? Sonia. Sonia, welcome. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you. So today, do you want to give your life to Christ Jesus? Do you want to say yes? Yes. Yes. Amen. Do you believe that Jesus is God? I do. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead and he lives? Yes. Amen. Amen. Sonia, welcome to the family of Christ Jesus. Thank welcome you. to New Life and the Answer. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's welcome. Bless you. Bless you. I just, again, I want to say thank you so much for everything that I've learned here, all the growth that I've had here, each and every one of you. I love you so much, and it's with such a heavy heart that I step out and follow this leading that we feel. But you are always in my hearts. My phone number is the same. You are my neighbors, and I love you very much. Bless this week. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.